This morning we're going to continue our uh, study in Philemon, and uh, we'll be in, beginning at verse number 7. And uh, as I was thinking uh, and trying to think of just the idea of refreshing that comes from this text, I, I remember when uh, one summer we went out to uh, Alberta to the foothills, and we were at uh, a place called Kananaskis. And if you remember it from the news, uh, I think there was... I think actually they did some Olympic skiing events there, but they also had like a G20 or G8 summit at Kananaskis. It's a beautiful part of the world. It's nestled between the Rocky Mountains and the foothills. And we had some friends with us. And uh, we decided in the morning that we're going to hike uh, the mountain that was right across from our campground. And so we tucked a couple of those, you know, little single drink bottle, uh, water bottles in the side of our uh, packs. And away we went and climbed up this mountain. Uh, before we got to the top, we ran out of water. Uh, it was a long, hot hike. It was probably 30 plus degrees. It was really warm out. Uh, as soon as you started to get a little towards the top, as we were getting nearer the top, the trees began to thin out, so the sun was beating down on us. But you could see the top, so you just kept going. And we just kept walking, and, and we were sweating just profusely. It was just, it was incredible, the, the, this trek, and, and a long, uh, long, steep climb. Um, it got to the point where your tongue, you know, when your tongue sticks to the roof of your mouth, you're so thirsty that it's like, and, and it, it's getting harder and harder. And just as we approached uh, the top, we turned a corner, and there, coming, running down, was a mountain stream. And it was ice cold. I didn't have to be invited twice. I knelt down on that, on that bank and I was just as, as much as I could scoop into my mouth and as much as I could get my, well, I got my water bottles filled and, and, uh, I remember the taste of that water that day like, like no water I've ever had before. It was just so refreshing. Just right down to the core of me, my tongue unstuck from the roof of my mouth and it just picked my spirits up. It was a great hike and it was majestic all around, but all of a sudden the birds sang nicer, the, the sky was bluer. It was one of those experiences. Um, it was really refreshing. Well, I think when Paul talks about the nature of refreshment in regards to those who bless those who are in ministry, uh, those who bless one another in Christ, that there really is a sense of that kind of refreshing. Now, the world is a very challenging place for a believer to live. Uh, when our allegiances aren't to ourselves in a world that says you're number one in everything, consider yourself before you consider anything else. And we're out there striving for a God who, who calls us to glorify him and serve and love others before ourselves. And sometimes as we walk through this world, don't you feel like your mouth is just drying up? That there's times when you're experiencing the advertisements on TV or the conversations at work or, or just what's being written in the newspapers or whatever it is that you're experiencing or even maybe some more pointed comments from people in your life and it almost feels like your tongue is stuck to the roof of your mouth. That it's, God, give me refreshing. I hope what happened this morning as we had fellowship time and then as we gathered in here this morning and as we sang of the glory and wonder of God, as we heard Scripture read, I pray that that would be like that mountain stream when you kneel down and you take that into your mouth and it's just the sky is bluer and the birds are singing more wonderfully. Well, verse 7 in Philemon 
begins, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required. Yet, for love's sake, I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, appeal to you for my child, Anisimus, whose father I, I became in my imprisonment. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. You know, one of the, one of the famous uh, verses that speaks to the idea of useful or refreshing comes to us in Revelation chapter 3, verse 14. When you hear uh, the, uh, and the angel of the church in Laodicea write, the words of Amen and the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works are neither hot nor cold. Would, you, would that you were either hot or cold. So because you are work, lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. You know, lukewarm was putrid. It was useless. Cold was good and hot was good in that society. Warm was filled with minerals and smelly and bacteria-ridden. And so the idea was there's no refreshing here. There's no value here. And so, you know, that, that idea that, that somehow uh, faithfulness and, and a God-centeredness and a focusedness is a sense of refreshing, being able to give something that's, that uh, uh, changes your disposition, that encourages your heart. So we want to be a joy-giving heart refresher. We'd like that on our resume. I am a joy-giving heart refresher. As a believer in Christ, that's one of the things we're called to. So we saw that joy in ministry earlier on in Philemon, and I'm going to read back from verse 3 again just to set the context for our passage. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers because I hear of your love and of the faith that you have toward the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. So what had Paul heard about Philemon? Paul had heard that Philemon was demonstrating love and faith, grace and forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ. Paul was telling Philemon, I have heard that you are living the redeemed life. It was his testimony and it should be ours. And again, Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. And so there is something that is to be modeled in our life that says we are redeemed in Jesus Christ. As Jesus Christ is gracious, we will be gracious. It will be demonstrated in our life. It is our testimony and it is the glory of God made manifest. That as we live these things out, that the world sees Jesus in us and through us. And so I went last week through a concern for the Lord that we are supposed to be a testimony to the one we follow. You know, if you're following the Lord Jesus Christ, shouldn't it look like you're following the Lord Jesus Christ? Shouldn't the world see that you're following Jesus Christ? If you say, I'm following Jesus Christ, and your life doesn't testify it, do you confuse the people in the world around you? No, I would say, yes, you do, because if you say, I'm walking a certain way, and you go the other way, that's confusing. And so part of our testimony is a concern for the Lord, for His testimony, that the world would see that Jesus Christ made manifest in my life looks like this. 
one who has grace, one who forgives, one who loves. That you would have a concern for the people, the people of God and for the lost. That it would be something that is manifest in us. We would have a concern for the fellowship. There is no lone ranger or lone wolf or independent Christian ever expressed in Scripture. The idea is foreign. They gathered in the Old Testament. They gather in the New Testament. There's an obligation to one another. There's an obligation for care. There's an obligation to exhort. There's an obligation to love. Those obligations are there. And so, again, a part of our testimony is that we weave that in, that we live together, that we demonstrate the love of Christ together. And that we continue to grow in our understanding of who Christ is and His Word. And we live for His glory. So we do all for Jesus Christ and forgive as He has forgiven. And so now we come to our text. And so we've got to be a joy-giving heart refresher. We are to be a joy to ministry. I'm just going to stop there for a second and say, just examine your heart. Examine your life. Examine your comments over years of being in Christian ministry. Examine every conversation in your home, in your in your workplace, in the lobby or foyer of the church, in the pew beside you, uh, with anybody you've encountered who is in ministry. Have can you say that you have been a joy-giving heart refresher in Christ? Has that been the tone and tenor of who you are? Paul says, commends this in Philemon. He says, man, you are good for the body. You are good for the body of Christ. You strengthen the body of Christ by your love, by your forgiveness, by your graciousness, by how you carry out uh, your relationship to your brothers and sisters in Christ. You are a refreshing. Paul says, I have derived much joy. Again, these are one of those things that if you were thinking, I'd like to design my own tombstone What would you like Jesus to say or what would you like the apostle to say about you when he reflects on how you've lived your life in in the body of Christ and as a testimony to God? Would you like him to say, I have derived much joy from you? Sign me up. I'd love that to be on my my tombstone. Paul says, I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because because the heart of the saints have been refreshed through you. Paul, distant, getting on in age, probably really hurting in his body for all of the stuff he's had to suffer through in his life, imprisoned, can't get out, hears about how intense Philemon's love is for those who are in Christ, and he finds that like that stream of cold water to his soul. He, he is imprisoned. He is separated from the brethren. There is little contact he's having. Some people are able to reach Paul, but most people don't get to come in and have a conversation. The guy's in jail. And yet, the reports that come back of, his, of Philemon's relationship to the body are like his tongue is stuck to the roof of his mouth because of all of this dire situation. He has the joy of the Lord, but he also has this joyful experience that he brings to his lips that is a testimony of a brother in Christ who loves the church so intensely. So intensely that he writes it into his letter. What's it mean to have your heart refreshed? What does Paul mean by this? What does it mean for Paul to say, 
My heart was refreshed. We look at his circumstance. We look at what the world is handing him. And then we look at this testimony that breaks through the dull and and dreary and darkness of the place that he finds himself. And it is the testimony of the Christian life. One whom he knows and has shared Christian ministry, it comes cascading in. What ways can we be refreshing? If Paul commends this kind of refreshing, if this one book in the Bible, one book of Paul's writings, speaks specifically to an individual. Now, Titus and Timothy are written to, but they're written to with church instructions. Philemon is written to Philemon. It's good for us. There's benefit in it for us. But Paul saw enough value in Philemon to say, I'm writing this letter to you specifically. So we want to pay attention. When Paul commends somebody under those circumstances, we want to stop and say, what is it about Philemon that drew the focus of the apostle to the Gentiles? And he says you are a refreshment. You, you refresh the hearts of the saints. How do we refresh the hearts of the saints? How do you refresh the hearts of the saints? How do you draw the attention, not only of the apostle to the Gentiles, but of your Savior? Imagine that testimony for Jesus to say, you have been a refreshment to my saints. Shouldn't that be an intentional part of our life? We don't live in a world like that. We live in a world that is all about snap, five-second opinion. Not rooted in who we are in Jesus Christ, the fact we are redeemed, that we have grace and forgiveness, but that I have an opinion. Everybody has an opinion on everything. We live in an age where everybody thinks they know everything about everything. We see it on the news. You'll get an interview on the news. They'll be like, Okay, uh, they're going to prorogue Parliament. Let's go talk to CTV's Craig Oliver. He's a reporter. What do I want to talk to a reporter for? Let me talk to the politicians who are making the decision. What, who's, what makes him an expert? Because he wanders around the halls and does interviews? Everybody thinks that they have a comment to make on every subject. Well, we do the same thing in our life. We think that we have this, this intrinsic need to comment on everything. And we don't often do it from a perspective of those who are trying to refresh and build up. We just think we need to be heard. Well, venting isn't a Christian theme. I've heard that. I'll I'll be doing a counseling session and somebody says, well, you know, we need to vent. And I'll go, yeah, no. No, venting is, I don't know in Bible where venting is. Actually, I can't find venting as a theme in Scripture anywhere. As an idea, there's no venting. There's no venting in Scripture. There's seeking counsel in regards to an issue. There's an appropriate sense of sharing in love to build and to edify and to grow. There's no venting in Scripture. Those are venting are usually harsh words and lack gentleness or kindness. They don't lack they lack purpose. They often give opinions on subjects on which we don't even know all of the background of. One of the things I was just reading in one of the books 
I'm studying on preaching is it's the story of a guy who gets on a subway in New York. And this fellow gets on with his three kids, and the three kids are bananas. Now, this is a New York subway. On a Sunday morning, it's pretty quiet. These kids are swinging from the rails, and they're yelling out loud, and they're kind of fighting amongst themselves. And the guy's just got his hand in his head, and he's sitting in the seat, and he's doing nothing about it. Now, you can tell by the fidgeting that everybody's getting agitated around him. And yet... This one guy sitting there, he goes, I'm going to take this matter into my hands. And so he gets up and he goes, excuse me, sir, do you realize how much of a disruption your children are? Thinking, what an irresponsible parent. Does he not respect anyone else? The man lifts his eyes and says, I'm sorry I'm distracted. We've just left the hospital. Their mother passed away. And I'm just not really focused. Now, how do you think the venting went? So often when we think we know, we miss the mark. In Christian love, especially in relationship to our brothers and sisters in Christ, spend the time building up and encouraging and strengthening and refreshing. Because more often than not, when we're venting, we don't know the story. It's time that we took a, an approach like Philemon that says, we love because Christ loved us. The unlovable. We show grace to those who deserve nothing because we were showing grace when we deserved nothing. need to support one another. Ministry happens in the most profound way, not when one guy stands at the front, not when a couple of people do their thing for the body, but when the body of Christ ministers grace and truth and love and forgiveness one to the other and to community around us, we change the world. Philemon is saying, model it, or Paul's saying to Philemon, continue to model it amongst your brothers and sisters in Christ so the world has something to see, a standard to know, a love to look up to, a, a grace to come to try and understand. How have you been refreshed? I'm sure I pray to God that at some point, in some ministry perspective, you have been refreshed. Somebody walked over and put their hand on, their, on your shoulder and said, God bless you for, and fill in the blank. Whatever it is you do. Al on piano this morning. I, I love watching. You, you get kind of excited there, and it, it blesses me to, to watch you do that. Harry, when he was singing this morning, such a rich blessing to my heart. Just the trumpet. What a, what a, oh, there's trumpets in the Bible, and I can almost hear all, all of those. Revelation passages when the trumpet's playing and you bless my heart, Dwayne. But how many times have we missed the opportunity to just... This isn't about pat on the back and rob them of their crown and glory. This isn't what we're talking about. It's talking about being a refreshing in the Spirit of God. 
To show grace and love to one another. To encourage one another. To, to understand that there's a battle at hand. And, I, and I'm going to lay down my own pride. I'm going to lay down my own time. I'm going to sacrifice a little to come alongside and say, thank you. It takes the same amount of time as, as those javelins do. Those javelins that poke holes in board chairs. We have board chairs with holes in them. You know, how many times have you been to, to, to Jim Patrick when he was board chair or uh, Jason or uh, any of the men serving or, or Bob Ormiston and, or, or Ron or, or any of the men who have served you? Put your arm around them and say, oh, you make a lot of sacrifice, a lot of hours, a lot of time, a lot of prayer. A lot of care. How can I come alongside of you? How can I bless you? How can I encourage you? A lot more of these things. Hey! We need to bless and encourage and be joyful and refreshing. We, we, we have the best thing going. There's nothing better. You can, you can be dreaming of the barbecue you're going to after or, or the restaurant you're going to or, or some family shindig or something you're going to go do over the next couple of days. I assure you that this should be the very best thing that you experience. The time together with the body of Christ, passing joy to one another, encouraging one another, loving one another. It shouldn't get better than this. Everything else we do in the week, everything else in the world is, is okay. And in light of who we are in Christ is good. But this should be the place where we should just walk through the door and, and burst into big grins. There should be no hesitation. There should be no worry. There should be no, oh, how are things going to go today? You should all skip from the parking lot. I'll be watching. There should be this sense of excitement. We're supposed to exceed. You know, we look at the word and sometimes, and I've talked about the illustrations before, but, you know, that idea of we try to do as little as possible and still be Christian, right? We, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting my Jesus time in, but, you know, I'm walking the line. Why not fully embrace what it means to be in Christ. Pursue Him in everything. Take the time to show love. Set aside venting uh, or grumbling as the Bible calls it. Look at the opportunity to, to bless and encourage and experience Christ one with the other. The Apostle says there is this joy because Philemon has extended forgiveness and grace. Grace and forgiveness. The love of Jesus Christ. The, the, the untold riches in Jesus Christ have been shared through the ministry of Philemon. And Paul sitting in a dark, dank jail cell uh, where nobody feeds him except his friends if they remember to come by that day. And he sits there apart, separated from all that he knows and loves. And he's sitting there on the bottom of, of this pit and he hears the words that Philemon is loving the body as he has been called to, and he is refreshed. Be a joy-giving heart refresher. Just, just do it. 
Just do it because Christ is in you. Just do it because of the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for you. Dig down deep and understand who you are in Jesus Christ, and that's what comes out. Second point is be a heart-refreshing person of character. Verse 8 says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you, I, Paul, an old man and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. So Paul decided to speak gently to Philemon. Paul the Apostle. Now we've seen other places in Scripture where Paul brings down the I'm an Apostle hammer. Where he brings down the fact that in Corinth where they're kind of wrestling with, with his authority to speak, he makes it abundantly clear that he is allowed to be the spokesman of God and bring the truth to bear. But he deals differently with Philemon. Paul's refusing to exercise that aspect of authority. His apostolic and ministerial authority, to, to, uh, which he used when he needed to, but he chose not to. And why did he choose not to? I think the answer is who Philemon is. Philemon has demonstrated a character of grace and forgiveness. He demonstrated a character. Our generation doesn't put nearly as much, our generation, I'm old, the next generation doesn't put nearly as much uh, weight on the issue of character. Used to be, a man's word is his bond. Used to seal the deal with a handshake. If there was misunderstanding, the two men would work it out. Because what was at stake? Your character. Not your PR, not your, you know, whatever else, but who you were. Scripture talks about it. You know, when you see the word trust in the name of Jesus, it's not name like J-E-S-U-S. That is His name, but that's not what you're trusting in. You're trusting in everything behind it. The reputation, the authority, the character of Jesus Christ. You know, when you say, I've trusted in the name of Jesus, it's not that I said a little prayer and put Jesus at the end of it and I'm saved because it's some kind of incantation. It's because I put my trust in the One whose name is Jesus. In His character, in His strength, in His power, in His wisdom, in, in all of His grace. That's what I, that I trust. Well, Philemon is modeling Christ in the fact that he is, he is character driven. He is a person who is these things, generous, gracious, and forgiving, because he is in Christ. And so Paul doesn't need to make some kind of duty based statement to him. Thou shalt. Thou must. Does he have scriptural authority to bring the weight of Scripture down on the head of Philemon? Yes. But he doesn't bring it down in that form. Why? Because you appeal to the character of the person. And you say, because you are a brother in Christ, because you are the redeemed in Christ, I first give you the opportunity, of course, to act in relationship to your character. This society doesn't do that so much. How many times have you, uh, in this, in, in recent years, maybe with younger people or maybe your children or 
maybe mine. Um, ask them to do something. Do you understand what I'm asking you? And they say, yes. Are you going to do it? And they say, yes. Do they do it? No. Complete lack of character. Right? And so what do we invoke instead to make it happen? Coercion. Duty. Behavior modification techniques. Reward and punishment. We go through this whole scenario like the world does. Well, you know, if you do this, you get dessert. That's killer. That robs a child of their character, just so you know. And I did it too, so... Reward and punishment is not the model of, of parenting that we start with. Now, sometimes we have to reinforce, but it starts with character. I want you to be like Jesus Christ. I want you to have that same set of reputation to your name. I want you to be able to say you're going to do it and you'll do it. When you say, I am a believer in Jesus Christ, you're going to say, I will. I will live out my life according to His Word. Why? Because it's written down? Well, that's very convenient, by the way, because you can find it. But do you do it because it's written down? Should you obey the Word of God based out of reward and punishment? That makes God utilitarian. It means He's a light switch. I'm going to obey so I get to go to heaven. The problem is, if you obey just to get to heaven, when you get to heaven, you get the Lord, Lord statement. Because it isn't just about obedience. Obedience is actually a manifestation of a heart that says, I love God. It comes from character. We do what we do, not because we want the reward. We do what we do because of who asked us and the character of grace and forgiveness in us in relationship to the one who has graciously forgiven us. Does that make sense? All right. I kind of took you on to one of these. So Paul addresses Philemon as a man of character and says, I could sit down and tell you, be obedient to me, the apostle, acting in jurisdiction with Scripture as it has been commanded. But he says, you know what the Word says. I'm acting you to act according to your character, which by the evidence of the refreshing of the saints is a man of God. So he says, just act consistent with one who is redeemed. There's, there's the question in our, in our mind when we're dealing with circumstances and situations in life. Act consistent with being one who is redeemed. So, how do we know what to do? Scripture tells us. The washed conscience helps us. The body of Christ helps to inform us. Because unto ourselves, we'll get all kind of messed up. We need some help. We need some people to come alongside, throw an arm over the shoulder, help us walk this path. But it starts with our character. Are you redeemed in Christ? You forgive as you're forgiven. You show grace as you have had grace shown. You're gentle as Christ has shown gentleness. See, that's what we're called to do. We can get all lost in the complicated rules, but that's not what it is. 
Literally, the words Paul said was, having boldness in Christ to command you. I have the boldness. I have the, I have the, I have the foundation on which I could just say, do it. But, I, but this isn't about behavior modification. This isn't about coerciveness. This is about character. And I'm calling you to act consistent with a believer's character, Philemon. And so we know from, from God's economy that it's different than the world deals with. Remember, Onesimus stole. There's no way a slave would have the resources to get to Rome. So he had to take something. Plus he took himself, right? He's a, he's a slave. He, you don't get to just leave. So he stole himself. Plus he took whatever means it took to get to Rome. So Paul's saying this thief, two times over at least, standing before you with whom society says, oh, you can beat him, you can lock him up, you can do, what, you can do whatever the necessary punishment is because he robbed you. You have a, a right within the society to act in a certain way. And our society have, gives us lots of rights that, that, that outside of this place seem reasonable but inside of this place are not reasonable. We are supposed to submit to one another. We are supposed to forgive one another. We don't get to take our pound of flesh. And so Paul introduces this to Philemon and says, man, you are going to treat, you need to treat your brother mercifully. You're, remember, you have been forgiven by grace. Now, forgive by grace. And so we're called to a higher standard. We can't refuse forgiveness. We can't refuse gentleness to one another. We can't refuse kindness to one another. We can't refuse to trust one another. I'm sure that'll have some rippling percolations. Trust isn't something people earn, just in case. That's, they said that outside. Inside, trust is something we give. And we're called to give it. Pride says I'm not going to trust somebody because what if they stomp on me? The Bible says then you get to testify to the fact that you're going to be gracious even when they stomp on you. Uh, what? That's really hard. But we're called to a different standard than the world. We love, we trust, we care, we forgive, we show grace, even in the face of everything that would say, no, don't do that. The world's out there saying, no, you're nuts, man. My wife did that, out the door she'd go. If somebody wanted to say that to me, I'd tell them, get lost. And your answer is, no. How can you ever trust her again? Because I trust her. No, no, I mean, how do you get there? How does she ever earn your trust again? I give it to her. What do you think the world's out there saying? Like, dude... No, we go, I trust because I've been, that's a Christian character. I forgive because that's a Christian character. I love because that's Christian character. I'm gentle because that's Christian character. I don't do it because it's written on black and white. Black and white helps me find it. Black and white shows me the heart of Christ. But I do it because I'm redeemed. I'm not looking for the world's economy. 
I'm looking to do things God's way. And it's very different. Paul's appeal looks a lot like church leadership. Your elders are like old, decrepit men in prison. Yeah, I know. It's going to be a tough next meeting. No, it is those who, they, they can't coerce anything. What are they going to do? Jason going to knock on your door at 2 o'clock in the morning, going, we have to talk. Stop that. Sit down or I'll tie you into the chair. What? Like, it's not happening, right? There's no plans. No, uh, your elders, they can't. They don't have coercive power. Now, what are they going to do? Why do you, why do they, why do they lead? Why does scripture say that you're supposed to follow them? Why do you, scripture say that you're supposed to submit to your leadership? Not because they are this elite group, but because God has called them and set them apart. You guys have recognized them. And because that's Christian character. Right? Hebrews chapter 13 verse 7. Says, obey your leaders and submit to them, for they're keeping a watch over your souls, as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy. So no more javelins. Just they're out. No, no more poking holes in, in elders or servants. They need to be able to do this without groaning. And javelin pokes make them groan. I've seen it. So that's no advantage to you. Godly men. And so we appeal to the congregation. To treat them as godly men and honor them with your character. When your brothers and sisters in Christ serve, love them, honor them, care for them, treat them with grace and forgiveness. That's what we do. Not as a command. Not as a command, because you'd have to have like church Gestapo or something sneaking around, enforcing the rules. This isn't, this isn't about rules. Philemon wasn't about Paul saying rules. Philemon saying, you're redeemed. You've been shown grace and forgiveness. Now, show that. Manifest the redemption of Christ. Love. And I'm jumping way ahead because we're out of time. So be a heart-refreshing person of character. Last is just be a, like a heart-refreshing family. Look at the language Paul uses. My child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Family language. This is a family. We are brothers and sisters. Some of you are spiritual fathers and mothers to some of the people in this congregation. What an incredible privilege. Paul makes this appeal because he understands what it is for someone to receive the gospel of grace. He's championing Onesimus and calling on the character of Philemon because he loves the family. Could you imagine what that would be like? Well, Take any circumstance you can recall in any moment in your church history life when somebody was centered out because of something that happened in the church or, or there was factions or sides on something and people were, you know, 
shooting, you know, Philemon, you should be able to get rid of Onesimus. You should be able to punishment. No, Paul says don't. You shouldn't. You shouldn't act with your character. You have the right. Come on now. And you get this kind of battle happening. What does that do to the guts of the church? Anybody ever experienced that? Come on now. You're lying. Nobody put their hands up. No, that, ro- that, that sense of, oh, the acid, it's just going to burn a hole in me. Because that's not what families do. Gentleness, grace, forgiveness, kindness, character. And so Paul is making sure that Philemon remembers he's a bro. He's one of ours. He's with us. He's my child in faith. I'm his father. You are my brother. Look who we are. We need to be a heart-refreshing family. Everything we do, heart-refreshing, one to the other, heart-refreshing. Does it mean there isn't tough moments? Oh my goodness, wouldn't that be nice? But how do you resolve tough moments in a family? How do you resolve tough moments in a family? Hugs work really good. Some people get creeped out by hugs. You can hug my wife instead of me and that'll be okay. Um, there'll be a lineup. <laughs> this one's for you. This one's for Doug. Um, no, I mean, when things aren't going smooth in a family, you come alongside, you, you, you laugh, you enjoy each other's company. You sit down across the table until you laugh. You pray for the other person until your heart's released. You, you, you say things to refresh and encourage. You say, hey, I, you know what? I, I don't see it the way you see it. And I know we've kind of kind of been banging heads on this thing, but I love you. I really love you. We're family. So Onesimus... We see this change in Onesimus, and it kind of mirrors the whole thing. His name means useful, but he's been useless to Philemon. Actually, he's been less than useless. He stole his stuff and ran away. That's not a very helpful slave. Paul says, in light of his change, he's now useful to you and to me. He looks at him and says, he's now family. He's now a blessing. Do we have some family issues to resolve? Hey, man, why did you steal my stuff? <laughs> you know, Philemon, I am sorry. You get this conversation. All right, man, I get it. Don't do it again. But grace and forgiveness and love. Because that's what families do. We need to think about how we do this. It's all good. I can stand up here and talk in theory. But I really do think you need to be conscious of the fact of how do we be heart refreshers very purposefully when we go into a conversation i love the fact but you and i david that we're talking this morning about uh, the trench again now somebody who was talking to me about the trench was that yesterday or today ah right mr tank uh we were talking about the trench and i go ah that's cool we're we're kind of assembling as we go through scripture the the idea that a trench is whatever first conversation you have you always have that conversation talking about evangelism now trying to make sure that every conversation introduces Christ and from last week that to, to get out of that trench and also when we're talking to brothers and sisters in Christ we can communicate doctrinally we can celebrate the nature of our relationship in Jesus well here's another one to add to your list so stay out of the trench 
communicate the love and, and purpose of Jesus Christ. Next one's be a refresher. Be a refresher. There's your threefold approach to every conversation, depending who you're talking to. If it's a non-believer, stay out of the trench and introduce them to Christ. If it's a believer with whom you just, you're just, everything's hokey-dokey, just introduce the doctrine. Bring it on. Just bring on what it means to be in Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, George was sharing with me, you know, how is your walk, I think is your line, or something like that when you go up to camp. You, just, you reach in and, you, and you're talking to a brother and sister in Christ. Hey, how's it going? How's your walk with the Lord Jesus Christ? How are you doing in the Lord today? How can I be praying for you? Doctrinal stuff, good stuff. Heart refreshing. Go up to somebody. Be encouraging in the faith. How can I bless you? Or, so what's going on in that ministry? Or, oh man, you know, I I hear about your sacrifice, the amount of hours you put. That's fantastic. Let's just take an approach that says we love each other. Scripture says we have to. It's not a feeling. Love isn't a feeling. Hollywood says it is. Remember, their definitions and our definitions are different. Love is what we do. We love each other. We just love each other. Sometimes it's harder, sometimes it's easier, but we love each other. Why? Because that's Christ in us and that's our character. And when the world looks in, he'll see us loving each other. We love each other differently because we're different kinds. Remember, not as big on hugs, bigger on hugs. But we love each other. So let's love each other. And let's love each other not because we have to begrudgingly love each other, because that's like a four-year-old who has to say sorry to their sibling. We want to love each other because Christ loved us and forgave us. And we want to see our brothers and sisters in Christ refreshed and strengthened and encouraged in ministry. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to read your word. And pray, God, that this word would be a refresher to us. And that we would intentionally love our brothers and sisters in Christ. Make an impact on their hearts because of our character. Because we've loved Jesus Christ. Because we've been loved by Him. Because we've been forgiven by Him. Because He is our all in all. May that radiate into our conversations. May we lift up and build up and strengthen and encourage May we be gentle in our words and kind in our approach. God, we all, we, the temptation in this world is, yeah, we, get, we want to vent. We want to have our opinions known. We want, to, we want it all to be about us. Help us stomp out our pride and let us live for your glory and for your name's sake and to build up this place. For God, we seek to serve you in this world and honor you and glorify you and testify to you. To you be all glory, honor, and praise. In Jesus' name, amen.